0: Blog Talk Radio Welcome to Ancestors' Footprints. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and a special welcome to the callers and chatters to the show tonight. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy and history an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. Well, tonight's show is about the Freedmen of the Frontier, with selected Cherokee, Choctaw, and Chickasaw freedmen families. And my guest is genealogist Angela Walton Raji. Angela is a descendant of Choctaw freedmen, former people enslaved in the Choctaw Nation by Choctaw Indians. Angela is a blogger and podcaster, and she claims both Arkansas and Oklahoma as her home states. She has a degree in Spanish from St. Louis University and a Master of Education from Antioch. She is currently working on a memoir about her journey to document the Oklahoma-based freedmen and her own African Choctaw family her research continues at the National Archives in Washington DC and also from Maryland where she continues to research and write so let me give just a warm welcome to my genie bud Angela Walton Raji to Ancestors Footprints welcome Angela
1: Why, thank you, Bernice. Thank you for that warm introduction. I certainly appreciate that, and uh, it is great to be here, and I always enjoy talking with you and listening and learning from you, and I'm just
0: thrilled to be here. Well, you know what? Tonight, I'm thrilled to learn from you because I consider you an expert on this topic. So Uh let's begin kind of, with your beginning, okay? Okay. Okay. One of the things that I, I know about this book is that you documented 52 Friedman families over 52 weeks. That's a, basically entire year. So what motivated you to document 52 Friedman families over this period of time? <laughs>
1: Well, I can tell you that in 2017, this time in 2017 in April, I was asking myself the same question. What in the world was I thinking? <laughs> but I have to say I was inspired by the genealogy community. I know that many people who are out there in the blogosphere, those who write blogs, were undertaking numerous projects and following numerous genealogy memes, And one of them was to document 52 ancestors in 52 weeks, and I was just kind of impressed with that. Wow, oh, okay, interesting. And I don't know what happened late 2016 or early 2017. I guess I must have read maybe it was a blog that uh, uh, maybe Amy Johnson Crow or someone had written some post, and I just said, you know what, I am always. Talking about on my own blogs, many of the families from the five tribes in Oklahoma. One, why don't I try and document fifty-two freedmen families? That's just one profile a week. Oh, surely I can do that. I've written a lot more than that in the past, uh, and whenever I'm in a real blogging, you know, mode, I can really go at it. Uh, but trust me, right around April, I asked myself, "What were you thinking?" However. I realized what I was doing was important, and I said, You know stick to this and I decided to focus on the five tribes uh, my ancestors come from the Choctaw nation my grand my great grandmother uh and great grandfather and my grandfather as well, as well as uh his brother and sister. They were all freedmen, and they were all on the Dawes roll and I, you know, had made this discovery back in 1991 and had committed a long time ago, uh, which I can certainly talk about that, but uh, I'd made a long time ago to talk about the Friedling continually because they were probably among the most undiscussed individuals. And the genealogy world, there are all kinds of books on Native American ancestry. No one ever mentioned the Freedmen, but we're talking 20,000 people, more than 20,000 people. We're talking 20,000 files. And a file can have as few as one person or as many as 12, 13, 14 people in a household. And so we're talking thousands of people who have basically gone undiscussed, undocumented, and few profiles of these families that are there. So I stayed with it in 2017, and once in a while I'd get behind. So that meant if I didn't get my family profile of the week, uh, then I'd have to do two the following week to catch back up. And we're talking about the tribes, the five civilized tribes, as they're known in an official way, Cherokee, Choctaw, Chickasaw, Creek, and Seminole nations. And the freedmen were those families who had been enslaved and, of course, their children later after freedom had come to the territory. And uh, But they were citizens of the nations in which they were born, in which they had toiled, and uh, in which they participated in, in the community. And there are thousands of records. And there are maybe a handful of us who specialize in these records. Plenty of people who will consider themselves Native American uh, specialists do not know the details of the Freedman records. So I decided when I once I got started with the project, and I alternated one week the Cherokee family, the next week the Choctaw family, the next law, then the following week Creek and Seminole, until the end of the year I made it. Uh, and I made it before the 31st. I was able to complete the task. I spent 2018 then thinking about what I had just accomplished, plus resting from that project. But I realized, you know what? Everybody who has a tie to these nations is not necessarily reading blogs. I had this information on a blog, but a lot of this information will reach more hands if it's in a book. And I decided to – Take those blog posts, modify them, correct typos, and and go through it for redundancy and um, to turn it into a book. And um, it was quite a task to do that. And when I first had put all five of them together, it was well over 500 pages. I said, okay, it has to be two volumes. So this first volume, which was just released uh, this month in April, and uh, Volume 2, which will be Creek and Seminole Families, will come out later in the year. But I got it done, and I'm so happy. And I'm hearing from people who have relatives in the book, and I'm just really thrilled that I've been able to, which was my goal, put some of the families and their historical legacy back on the landscape where Their history was created. When one, if you were to do a Google search of African American history of Oklahoma, you're going to find information on the black towns. You're going to find information on the Tulsa race riot of 1921, but you won't find anything on the freedmen. This is an effort to document 20 plus thousand people and their histories because these are people, Oklahoma became a seven. Well, freedmen, who were once at one time enslaved, we were in the territory seven decades before Oklahoma statehood in 1907. From the 1830s onward, these African-American families had a presence on the soil of what has become Oklahoma. And I decided, you know,
0: it's time to put the stories out there. So that was my motivation. Wow. Well, it's some motivation, but I'm I'm really happy to to hear that you had the commitment to do what needed to be done. And so you mentioned twenty thousand files representing thousands of people. Tell us exactly which records you were able to extract the names from. Yes and Mm -hmm. the information, so that people could just get a feel for all of the various resources that you had to use to put this book together.
1: Well, when one is dealing particularly with the five nations, or as they're often called, the five civilized tribes, Cherokee, Choctaw, Chickasaw Creek, and Seminole Nations, there is an enormous body of records coming out of Record Group 75 at the National Archives. And prior to statehood in Oklahoma, which occurred officially in 1907, it was decided some several years before that uh, that the decision was to open up Indian territory, which had been reserved for these tribes after relocating them To the West. And of course, many people are aware of the forced relocation of the tribes, uh, the Trail of Tears, and many people use that uh, term generically in reference to all five of the removals. There wasn't just one removal. And, uh, but what is not often told is that people who were enslaved, enslaved in eastern states, in the Carolinas, in Mississippi, in Alabama, in uh, Florida, individuals were taken west as enslaved people with the tribes that were relocated. And, um, and in many ways, there's some aspects of the history that can parallel much of American history. There were slave rebellions. We always hear of Nat Turner, a slave rebellion, which was, what, 1831? Well, in 1842, um, there was the Cherokee Slave Revolt. And there were many attempts. 1848, many Seminoles left because they were con uh, continually being bombarded with slave catchers and slave hunters, and many left for Mexico. Uh, I think recently, recently there was an article about the Muskogos of northern Mexico. They were Seminoles at one time, and they left in 1848. In 1861, in the Choctaw Nation, there was a the slave rebellion. These tribes that were slave holding tribes also fought for the South during the Civil War. And so, in, in many cases, as they were being relocated, many took their slaves with them, which is what took many African people to the territory. And um, I found my own family um, among Dawes' records. Um, um, if one is to use microfilm, it would be microfilm publication M1186. Now, these records have been digitized, they rest. On ancestry. com and on fold3. com, and um, a set of records that were created prior to Oklahoma statehood. The purpose was for allotting land into per, into personal parcels of land personal property ownership was not common among these tribes tribes uh, particularly these five tribes land was held in common it belonged to everyone but uh, the idea of opening up uh, Indian territory for white settlers to come in and and to start to
0: to and of course a lot
1: of this started in 1889 with the land rush but uh, to open up the land for white settlement It was decided, well, we've got to divide the land among the people who already own it, give them some parcels of land. Freedmen also received the land. They had been emancipated from bondage officially in 1866, not 65, 66. The 13th Amendment did not apply to them. Um, It took the Treaty of 1866 to officially end slavery, and the tribes uh, uh, worked to adopt the freedmen and to give them the rights and privileges of citizenship. Some fought against that vehemently, such as the Chickasaw Nation, that never did. However, Chickasaw freedmen still were given land allotments. The other tribes in different periods after the war uh, did adopt the Freedmen, the Choctaws adopted them, for example, in 1885 and so on. But the fact is that they were citizens where they had lived, where they had been born, many of them, and um, they received parcels of land also. The purpose of the Dawes' role to determine their eligibility to receive the land. There are three primary records. I mentioned enrollment cards. There is also a testimony. People had to go and testify and prove their eligibility. The testimonies that they gave are part of the Dawes' rolls. The microfilm collection is M1301. It also, this, this interview, is also found on Ancestry and also found on Bold3.com. And the third part of that process and the third Major document is the land allotment document. People got certificates. Actually, in, in many cases, when you look at the land allotment applications, you'll see it says homestead application. They were treated as homesteaders and were given anywhere from forty acres, such as uh, Choctaw, and Chickasaw, Freedmen, Creek, and Seminoles got sixty acres. And uh, and of course, if you were there was some discrimination because if you were on a blood roll you would get 320 acres and this is not per family this is per person even children so even among the freedmen if there were five people in the house every person including the children got 40 acres each child as well Uh, these records exist that speak to that and particularly the freedmen from Indian Territory um, are among the most documented African-American people who had a relationship with Native uh, people. And, of course, there are roles, numerous roles, that predated the Dawes' roles, which went from 1898 um, initially to 1906, and then finally the roles were closed uh, at the end of 1914 when the newborns and minor children were added but there's a plethora of records. We're talking millions of pages, and uh, it's absolutely incredible. When I first discovered my family in 1991, what astounded me after I read my my great-grandfather's words in his interview, and even my great-grandmother, Sally, who lived until 1961. She was born in 1863 in the middle of the Civil War. She was 98 years old when she died. And to read her words as she's talking about her mother, Amanda Anchatabi, and to read the words of individuals who knew her when she was an infant. And I realized, wow, look at this. And one of the words I'll never forget when they wanted proof that Sally, my great-grandmother, was truly uh, a freedman, they had to have proof. And the proof was often the word of a person who was an, an, uh, an Indian member of the tribe by blood, although she had the blood of her Indian father, but uh, uh, still her African mother put her in a freedman category, which is another story. But um, when I read the words from Nail Perry, who was from the slaveholding family, and he said, and I quote, the mother of Sally Walton was freed under my sister, Emmeline Perry, and then the interviewer said, "Well, who is Emmeline Perry? What is she?" And he answered, "A Choctaw because of course he was also a Choctaw. And then I realized, after I'm reading these words and just just astounded by what the what I was looking at, but then I looked at the file in front, I looked at the file behind, I looked at multiple files, ten files over. I was recognizing the surnames of people with whom I had grown up. And as children in western Arkansas and some from eastern Oklahoma, you would hear people saying, oh, yeah, yeah, our family's part Cherokee. Or, you know, it's this childhood bravado. You know, I grew up in the 50s and 60s with all the westerns. You know, were these just children saying something? And little did I realize until I saw those records, oh, my gosh, they're speaking to their truth. And their ancestors were freedmen of the Cherokee Nation, freedmen of the Choctaw Nation, as were mine, and uh, and of course there were others, Seminole freedmen, Creek freedmen. It just went on and on. I made a commitment to do at least as much as I could do research and tell the stories. But then after I had done the blog exercise of 52 families, I realized more people needed to at least see these and. So far, the response has been good. Um, I've heard from people who one gentleman said, and one of the groups that I belong to, he said, "Wow, I bought a copy of your book to show support." Little did I know I was going to be blessed. My family is in your book, and that just touched my
0: heart. It just, I said, that I have accomplished what I hope to do. So, uh, well, Angela, you know, as you know, I started reading your book. And I found three families in your book that are matching my DNA. And I wow. said, oh my goodness. That is amazing. Right. I mean, I'm I, like, oh, I cannot believe this. But I want to know, and, and I would like you to just take the time to share with us these that you found in your research and your writing of these 52 families because I don't know if people really understand just how profound this information is when you're actually, it's almost like you're listening to them speak to the interviewer. And you're hearing the questions, and you're hearing the answers to the questions. And so if you will, I would like you to just give us one or two very interesting stories and take us all the way through the file. Oh, my goodness. Well, I could. Of course,
1: I do have a personal bias. I can take you through through the Walton file if you're interested in that, um, Sam and Sally Walton. And it was something because, you know, you learn pieces of information that have never appeared and even in a, a family record. And um now, Sally Walton, as I said, she's a person that I knew. I loved her. She was my nana. She, she was, you know, my heart. She was my babysitter until I went to kindergarten. And I remember when I was going through the microfilm in those days, we had to go to the fourth-floor microfilm room at the National Archives. And I'm just scrolling through name after name. I don't really know what I'm looking at. And all of a sudden, and I have to say, I always point this out when I speak to people, I'm not a superstitious person, and I don't play the numbers, but when I reached file number 777, I hit the jackpot because on that file were the names, all of which shocked me, but I knew all those names. Samuel Walton, Sally Walton, Houston Walton, Sam Jr., that's my grandpa Sam, and Louisa Ingram. And when I saw them, I was just stunned. And all I could do is just sit there and go, that's them. Oh, my gosh. So, of course, I'm looking. I look at a record. I'm looking at Sam, and I look across his name, and I see a column that says, Slave of Jim Davis. Oh, what? What? What does that mean? I look at Sally, and I look across from her name, and I see Slave of, Emmeline Perry. Now, I was really quite astounded to see that. And then I something told me to look at something called an application jacket. And since their file was 777, I decided to see if the application jacket number 777 would contain anything. And sure enough, it did. And I'm going to read part of it to you. Um, it starts, This is June the 12th, 1899 in Spiro, Indian Territory. For enrollment as a Choctaw Freedman, Sam Walton testified as follows. What is your name, Sam Walton? How old are you? About 56. Were you born a slave? Yes, sir. Who was your master? Josiah Harrell. Where were you born? In Arkansas. Where were you at the time of the surrender? In the Choctaw Nation. Where have you lived? Since then, In the Choctaw Nation ever since I have been out of the territory on business But my home has always been in the Choctaw Nation Did your master bring you from Arkansas over here? He sold me over here Who to? Jim Davis What was Jim Davis? A Choctaw Then another gentleman, W.A. Welch, was sworn in says, Do you know this man, Sam Walton? Yes, sir Do you know whose slave he was before the surrender? I'm not definite about it, but my memory is that he belonged to Jim Davis. Do you know where he's lived since the surrender? No. Then Sam was reexamined. Are you married? Yes, sir. What's your wife's name? Sally Walton. What is your name? Sally Walton. Who did your mother belong to? Gilbert Perry. Was he a Choctaw or Chickasaw? Choctaw. What's your mother's name? Amanda, I'm t-tubby. She was then required to bring in another witness. What is your name? Dick brush ears. How old are you? Going on 79. Just state what you know about Sam Walton and where he's been. Every time I saw him, he was in the Choctaw Nation. He belonged to a man by the name of Jim Davis. He married into the Nail family, Jonathan Nail's sister. You're certain that he was owned by Jim Davis? He was there and called him Master Jim. What is his profession? He's a preacher. He goes here and there and preaches everywhere? Yes, sir. Do you know that he ever lived out of the, na- out of the nation? No, he never lived anywhere that I know of but in the Choctaw Nation and Chickasaw Nation. Regarding the enrollment of Sally Walton, Nell Perry was sworn in. What is your name? Nell Perry. How old are you? Sixty-four you know Sally? Yes, sir, I know her. Do you know who she was freed under? The mother of Sally Walton was freed under my sister, Emmeline Perry. Was your sister a Choctaw? Yes, sir. She was freed here in the Choctaw Nation, was she? Yes, sir. Do you know whether she has any children? I don't know what children she has, but she had about three, the last I knew anything about her. She was here in the Choctaw Nation at the time of freedom, was she? Yes, sir. She was a very small child. She was still a sucking child at that time. Sam was reexamined, and he said, I have a stepdaughter, my wife's daughter I want to enroll. What is her name? Louisa Ingram. Has she any children? No, sir. She's a daughter of your present wife, is she? Yes, sir. And finally, the outcome, enrolled Sam Walton, his wife children and stepdaughter, S. Choctaw Friedman. I'll tell you, when I read that interview, and I'm reading this on microfilm in the National Archives, I was stunned. This is pre-cell phone, so I could not get on the phone and call my mother and say, you won't believe what I found. But trust me, when I got back home, I did call her. And um, it's amazing. All of this came from the interview packet, which was 777, which coincided and corroborated the data on the enrollment card number 777. And, of course, they did receive their land allotment. And I think of Sally. Here's a gentleman who remembered her when she was still a sucking child. I knew her in the last years of her life as an old lady in her 80s and 90s, a lady who made Sassafras tea for me as a child and would let me sip out of her cup sometimes. And this was just such an overwhelming feeling to read also her words when she refers to her mother, Amanda Antetabi, and to realize, wow, I had not... Only found my family, I found pieces of their words. when I pulled the land allotment record, I found more of the words, and wow, this is something, and there
0: are literally thousands of records like this and so i had this to is it. just had amazing, you know, just to think first of all, you knew your grandmother. Yes. And here yes, you are friend. reading this document. I mean this, yes. this is just
1: amazing. And it was 1899 when this conversation occurred. Mm.
0: It is mm-hmm. it
1: is something and uh wow. And then I found other records pertaining to, you know, the same family. Uh Louisa, her daughter later got married to a man called George Sanders. And then George Sanders then testified, so that their children would be placed on the rolls, and they got land and you know it's just one of those things that it's 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 incredible, and if anyone is from Eastern Oklahoma or Western Arkansas, chances are they have a file like this and as chances are high they have a file like this. And um, and some of these files are totally incredible. They just go on and on and on. Uh, one of the files, they asked the gentleman, you know, to tell his story, and he was saying, oh, yes, I was taken south to Texas, and then I had to work my way back. And he tells where he was. You know, first he was down in Caddo, in the southern part of uh, the Choctaw Nation. I had to work my way up. Then I went to Fort Gibson before I got back to my home in Tahlequah. And it's like, wow, it's as if one has a chance to speak to their ancestors or listen to them tell their story. And that's why this book came to be.
0: Um, and um, Volume 2 will be out later. So,
1: um, Right. Well, we're
0: going to take just a quick break and come back and just talk about how genealogists can use this book. So this is just a quick break, yep. Angela, give you a chance to just breathe. <laughs> We'll be right right back (laughs) Sounds good Well, welcome back to Ancestors Footprints. Before we bring Angela Walton Raji back on, I just have two announcements for you. Registration is now open for the Midwest African American Genealogy Institute, the only institute focusing exclusively on African American research. The Midwest African American Genealogy Institute is a place where attendees learn research, and gain the tools needed to become a stellar genealogist and family history researcher. The dates are July 9th through the 11th at the Allen County Public Library Genealogy Center in Fort Wayne, Indiana. For further information, please go to the MAGI website, which is www.maagi.org. I-N-S-T-I-T-U-T-E dot R. And for those of you interested in the five civilized tribes, Angela Walton Raji has a track specifically to address the records that she's speaking of tonight. I'm also happy to announce that my new book, Tracing Their Steps, a memoir, is hot off the press. This book is about a journey I took to verify the oral history shared by my grandmother that her grandfather, Peter Clark, owned a lot of land in Maripas, Louisiana. Through painstaking research through an array of obstacles, I discovered that this land was acquired under the Homestead Act of 1862. This story will take you on a journey to learn how the power of oral history can serve as a guide to capturing a beautiful family story. The book is available on Amazon.com, and signed copies can be ordered from my website, and that's JeannieBRoots.com. Well, you have been listening to Angela walton raji discuss her research and her book, Friedman of the Frontier, selected Cherokee, Choctaw, and Chickasaw-Friedman families. So, Angela, tell us how can genealogists use your book? Well, one of the things
1: that uh, I think both genealogists as well as individuals who are interested in community history, community preservation, and also historians have a chance to utilize this book to, number one, Study the profile of families, study movement, study migration, and also study culture, those who are interested in sort of a cultural identity uh, of these individuals who lived in very, very, very unique communities on the western frontier. And the communities are unique from each other. One just can't simply take a a paintbrush and paint it and say, oh, okay, Oklahoma Freedmen. Uh, Well, no, they're not all the same. The culture and experiences of Muscogee Creek Freedmen, for example, people who were integrally a part of the tribal politics, people who served in both ruling houses of their tribe, the House of Warriors and the House of Kings, Their life is dramatically different from those in Chickasaw Freedmen communities where they were never given their full citizenship, although their tribe leaders had signed the Treaty of 1866. Uh, Likewise, in the Choctaw Nation, you had very limited access to political goings-on, but again, at the same time, contrast. That with Seminole Friedman. You have two bands, the, the Bruner Band and the Barkas Band, and those bands are still officially a part of the tribe today. Uh, Cherokee Nation, Cherokee Friedman, again, their history is also unique uh, with also unique records. Each one, you have a record, you have several records in the Cherokee Nation that do not exist in any of the other tribes. You have the Wallace Roll. You have the Kern-Clifton Roll. You have the 1880 Roll of Authenticated Cherokees, which no other tribe has that. But on the other hand, there's the 1885 Choctaw Census Roll that is there. There is also an 1867 Census of Choctaw Freedmen, and no other tribe has that. So each tribe had... That for documents that are unique to them, the one set of records that is across the board available at all of the five types are the Dawes rolls, the Dawes enrollment cards, application jackets, of course the final rolls, and the land allotment. But uh, how can genealogists use it? Number one, every enrollment card, of freedman, is, has information on the front and the back. So let's say if you had an ancestor whose name was Rachel Clayton. And you're going to pull up the the file of Rachel Clayton, and you'll see that she and her husband, Heiner Clayton, and all of their children were there. But you're also going to realize that uh, on the back side, there's a whole other generation of individuals. So you're not just looking at a card saying, oh, there's their name, copy the card and leave. There's another entire generation that's there and it's the the name of the father of each person whose name is on the front as well as the name of the mother of each person is given so now you're going back to the enrollee's parents and in many cases those parents were still alive meaning they had a card and they had a file so now one can go back pull that person's card and find this it one can go back to and sometimes Three generations. So for a genealogist, when I had first looked at my family's enrollment card, I was shocked to see the names. I had four new ancestors on that card. I had Sam and Sally, but their parents, their mother, and their fathers were listed and who the slaveholder was of each of their parents. Rich information, so one can get multiple generations from this. And for the person maybe who is looking at um, continuity uh, and longevity, because, one, in terms of the presence of these families in the territory, when you see uh, the slaveholder who was also a member of the tribe, and then you look at the parents and you see another generation uh, of slaveholders. In many cases, these are leaders of the tribe, and you realize, wow, my family was integral, integrated into this particular community, though enslaved, of course, but um, they were an integral part of the community nevertheless and they remain there because many that was their mother tongue. They spoke Chickasaw, they spoke Choctaw and they spoke Muscogee and so this is this is who they were. And um so certainly people from multiple disciplines can see These records and utilize them. Some of the records even talk about the fact that they came on the migration with the slaveholder. And they'll say, Oh, my family's from the old country. We came here from Mississippi. We came here from Alabama. And you realize, wow, these are some of the individuals whose parents were on the Trail of Tears as well. Incredible information. And this is their voice that's being spoken, not just an outsider coming in to
0: write about them you can read what they said about themselves Well, angela you know although I, I mean i've asked you how genealogists can use this book but how did you decide which families you would feature in each of your blogs You know, it's kind of, uh,
1: it kind of varied. Of course, you know, I rotated. I went from, you know, one tribe to another, one week Cherokee, one week Choctaw, et cetera. And um, I realized, maybe towards the second half of the year, I realized I wanted to make sure, because I have read hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of files, and I realized that there are some individuals who have unique stories to tell, and their stories are critical stories in terms of the historical, not just uh, presence that they're bringing, but the legacy that they're bringing and some of the things that they saw that they were witness to. And I learned also, because I particularly, I guess, I learned that, you know, sometimes it's the little people, the ordinary people who did extraordinary things. There was one woman, she'll be in volume two, a woman who people would just say, okay, well, yeah, she's a free man, former slave, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This ordinary woman brought an end to the Green Peach War. And many people are not aware of that particular conflict that had taken place among uh, individuals in, in Creek country, in the Scotia Creek Nation. And if you do um, – um, a Google search on the Green Peach War, you'll see, you know, one faction with Ispaiti and another faction with um, Chakotay and the war and the and and the conflict that was going on. And here was a freed woman who uh, was around when people were saying, "We've got to let Espaiat know we're more heavily armed than he. If he does not surrender, it's going to be a massacre. But we can't get through the line. We cannot." get to him to get him this message because they were waiting for the signal to attack. And this black woman standing around, I can get through, meaning here, who no one's going to question, a black woman, you know, um, just carrying her little bundle, doing her thing, walking along the road. She not only took the message from from the uh, the. Metal soldiers and and people who were going to intervene and literally massacre those who were with um, standing with um, Ismaili. She went up to him and delivered the message. He surrendered. The war came to a peaceful end and lives were saved. That's a story that I knew, and I said, you know what, this lady. Uh, Hagar Myers is her name, and Hagar's story needs to be told. Her story can be found uh, in the Indian Pioneer Papers, which is a collection at Western History Collection and Oral History Collection at the University of Oklahoma. And uh, she was a freed woman. She has a dog file. She has an interview. She received a land allotment. But this ordinary woman, in the middle of a major conflict, brought. War. She took a critical message to a warring party and saved many lives. And, you know, these are things, I just had to include her. I knew her story already, so she was not randomly selected. Some were random, but some were not. I knew I had to include at least one of the landmark cases where people were suing. and had their status changed, Joe and Dillard Perry. These are two boys who were biracial. Their father was Chickasaw. Their mother was a freed woman. She was part Indian herself. She was a mixed woman uh, of African, obviously, heritage also. And, of course, you know that one-drop rule, regardless of the fact that um, these are people who lived the culture, spoke the language, and had the blood of their fathers. But um, what is interesting with their case, they were put on the freedman Roll because, of course, their mother and grandmother had been women of African descent. And the mother said, wait a minute, I was married to their father, Charlie. And their story is an interesting case because um, it was considered a felony intermarriage to, um, does that sound familiar? <laughs> sort of a 20th century ring as well. It was a felony for anyone to marry another person of the African race. And... Um, these individuals, in fact, uh, had cohabitated. They had married, according to Chickasaw custom, but um, were arrested and uh, for cohabitating, and uh, taken to Paris, Texas. And it's kind of perplexing in terms of how was their marriage allowed, but they were allowed to marry. They returned to Chickasaw Nation where they had always lived, and. Um, And meanwhile, her husband, Charlie, gets sick. He passes away. The dog period starts up. The children were put on the freedman roll. But she knew, my children will get 320 acres instead of 40 if they're put on this roll by blood. And she sued to have them put on the roll uh, by blood. And this case went back and forth and back and forth. And she'd win a case, then they'd appeal. And then they'd drop it and reverse it and win. And at one point... There's a document that I included from a newspaper, Dallas Morning News, 1906. The Perry case has been resolved and the children are going to be put on the blood roll. But fast forward, 21st century today, if you pull up their name, they were put back on the Friedman roll. But this was a landmark case. This case attracted the attention of many, many, many people. And um, that kind of sentiment towards people who were once enslaved or who had an, an ancestor who was enslaved and how they were treated and that difference in policy towards them, even though they were just as chickasaw as, as anyone else. Um, it needs to be shown in terms of the kinds of things that were uh, facing them as people trying to continue and manage their own lives on the frontier.
0: Well, one of the things, I mean, I'm listening to you share this information, and I know that in July you will have a course, a track, at the Midwest African American Genealogy Institute that will focus on the five civilized tribes. So will they learn what you are saying to us tonight Well,
1: I hope so. Uh, One of my goals with the track, number one, is to create others who are specialists in this arena. There are, what, three people that I can name offhand who specialize in these records. And there may be a handful, I know it's less than a dozen, around the country who truly can specialize, who can name five records beyond the Dawes records, that would reflect Friedman off the back, And can they name at least two records from all of the five tribes that are not Dawes records? I would love to see a community of professionals who really know these records. There okay. is not a community. And um, there are a handful of us, and uh, we will be teaching at Maggie, by the way. And, um, and uh, well, actually, four of us. Um, who are going? Who are also Freedman descendants? Um, Nika Smith is a citizen of the Cherokee Nation. She does research Cher- Cherokee freedmen in depth. Terry Ligon, who is a descendant of Betty Ligon, who was the head litigant in the landmark case Equity Case 7071, where 2,000 Chickasaw freedmen sued to be placed on the on the blood roll um Ron Graham who is a descendant of Creek Freeman, Muskogee Creek Freeman. Um he is going to be teaching and he probably knows more about Creek Freeman than anyone um out there. And myself of course, I will be teaching also in the track and Dr. Janice Lovelace whose um husband I believe is Freeman and she has researched Talk, Talk Freeman um very much in depth as well. And um all uh, five of us are going to be teaching classes at Maggie. My goal is to create And Now, there are a lot of people who are researching their families. Don't get me wrong. There are plenty of people looking, oh, my grandfather was from Tahlequah. He may have applied. I think we have a roll number. What can I do? Where can I find his file? But my goal is to get people to move beyond just grandpa. You know what? Grandpa had associates. Um there are numerous individuals who were U.S. deputy marshals who came up from the five civilized tribes. Some, um, of course, served in a tribal um, a political system. Several of them did. But you also had soldiers who were Civil War soldiers, U.S. colored troops, particularly in the 79th and the 83rd Infantry, large numbers of, of individuals from the Cherokee Nation, Choctaw Nation, and some from the Creek Nation, particularly in the 79th. In addition, there are several dozen men from the Cherokee Nation and Creek Nation in particular who served in the first, second, and third Indian Home Guards in the Civil War. You know, we need people who specialize in these records. Um, I did have the uh, experience to research a little bit of Don Cheadle's background, and um, I I doubt if information was shared with uh, Don Cheadle about the fact that some of his own ancestors, Mary Kemp, uh, was um, the matriarch of that family, but hence Cheadle was the patriarch of the family, and they lived in a community around Tishomingo, around people who were activists for. Chickasaw Freedmen, who wrote these eloquent memorials and sent them to Washington. Some traveled to Washington to advocate on behalf of the staff of Freedmen in in the Chickasaw and Choctaw Nation. There was a tremendous activity going on uh, with the Choctaw Chickasaw Freedmen Associations of the 1890s. Who knows about this? And definitely no one talks about this in the genealogy community. And uh, it is one of the most understudied populations, but it has some of the most colorful history, and it's amazing. Individuals, as a file I was um, uh, pulling today or looking for today, a gentleman who was a freedman from the Choctaw Nation. Well, he was enslaved in the Choctaw Nation. He served in the United States Colored Troops. After the Civil War, he then re-enlisted in the 10th Cavalry and, of course, Buffalo Soldiers. After he got through that service, he then became a U.S. Deputy Marshal in Indian Territory. What a history. And, of course, people some people who study Indian Territory know that Judge Parker hired numerous men of African ancestry, including Several who were freedmen from the tribes, who were bilingual, who knew how to track, who knew the countryside, and um, who have just an amazingly rich history. We need more people to know these records. And uh, it's absolutely amazing. And this is just a, a subset of a larger set of records from all of the five tribes, the freedmen records. But the history is not one of just as as People oftentimes want to say, oh, just slaves. First of all, we want to avoid, as as um, one of my favorite writers says, we want to avoid the myth of the single story. There's more than one story, and these stories are
0: incredible. Very ordinary people who did extraordinary things. Extraordinary things. So tell everyone how they can get a copy of your book. And also mm-hmm. if you will be giving talks anywhere so that they could come and listen to you. Oh, okay.
1: Well, uh the book is available on Amazon and um they can order uh it directly from the title of course is Friedman, Freedman M E N of the Frontier, Volume One and as I said volume two will be out later this year. And uh and certainly um I will provide a link for you to share with your listeners if you've not already done so. And uh, I am going to be speaking, for those out west, I'll be speaking at the Genealogy Jamboree, Southern California Genealogy Jamboree coming up. And uh, also I will, of course, be at Maggie, uh July 9th through the 11th. And I am looking forward, a week later, I will be in Little Rock, Arkansas, at the Butler Center, and I uh, will be presenting there. And, of course, I just came back from South Carolina. But uh, And, of course, I am open for other events as well. But, uh, of course, you know, when I'm not either at the archives, then I'm busy writing as well. So I'm always researching because this research is so incredible, and I'm finding amazing things. And uh, we have a fabulous Faculty that's lined up, and I just hope many people will say, you know what, maybe I should specialize. I'm from Kansas or from Texas. I'm of a neighboring state. Why don't I know what was going on in the region where I live or where my ancestors lived? And if you are, if you have an interest in Arkansas, Oklahoma, Missouri, Kansas, Texas, Louisiana, you know what, these are states that are adjoining in some way or are a stone's throw away from Indian Territory, Um, we need more specialists. And sometimes, you know, when you back up away from that one record that you're looking for just for your family, when you start to zoom out and study the community, you find your family again. And I'm sure as you know, when you were reading and and following those documents, when you were writing your book as well. And uh, when you zoom out and look at the larger picture, you find even more, and my goal. Oh, sorry, I, my hand hit something there. My goal is to create other freedmen specialists. Um, we need them. There's rich history there to find.
0: Well, I I I I love your goal. I think that this is definitely there is a need. For more Friedman Mm -hmm. specialists, and I can't think of a better person to be an advocate to push uh, for this to become a reality. So, Angela, I just want to thank you, thank you, thank you for sharing your labor of love with us tonight. You know, I appreciate the fact that when I received my book, I said, oh, my goodness, I cannot believe she has done this and and oh. it's amazing and i look forward wow. to uh purchasing volume 2 because this is a resource that i think can be shared with a lot of people and it it's definitely worth it so everyone oh. i just want you to please remember your ancestors left footprints i mean you heard what angela just shared with us about her grandmother sally walton and Samuel Walton, and the testimony. Well, that was footprints, folks. That was information straight from her ancestor's mouth. And we should follow them, follow the clues, follow the clues that are presented to you in all kinds of ways, through oral history, through family records, and, of course, research at the National Archives and beyond. You can consider Continue this discussion on the Research at the National Archives and Beyond Facebook page. And also remember to listen to Angela's African Roots podcast and Black Progen Live with host Nika Soul Smith. Thank you so much for joining Ancestors Footprints, Blog Talk Radio, and I look forward to all of you joining me next week. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett. Good night, everyone. Good night, Angela. Good night, Bernice. Thank you for having me. My pleasure.